Today on Watching Your Wealth, we'll look at what the wealthy need to know about financial aid. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Advice for making, keeping, and protecting your money. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Mark Kantrowitz is a financial aid expert and publisher of CapEx.com. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Mark, so you said there are two ways a wealthy student might qualify for need-based aid. What are they? So financial aid is based on financial need, which is defined as the difference between the college's cost of attendance and the expected family contribution. The cost of attendance is not just the tuition and fees, but also room and board, books and Mm. supplies, and other expenses. So looking at that formula, there are two ways that the wealthy student may qualify for financial aid by having a higher financial need. One is by attending a higher cost college. So a wealthy student might qualify for need-based aid at a fifty dollars or $60,000 private nonprofit college where they might not qualify for any aid at an in-state public college. The other way is to have a lower expected family contribution, which is a measure of the family's financial strength. Now, the way that you get a lower EFC is by having multiple children in college at the same time. The number of children in college functions as a divisor into the parent contribution portion of the expected family contribution. Mm -hmm. So going from one child in college to two children in college is like dividing the parent income in half. So it sounds like that could have a big impact if you've got two kids in school, for sure. And and so tell me about this, because, and I'm just going to play a devil's advocate, because when people hear about, oh, the wealthy applying for financial aid, some wealthy families say, okay, my objective is to look poor to the colleges. That way, maybe it'll work out for me. And what do you say to people who think that way? Well... Everybody struggles to pay for college. The poor struggle more than middle-income families who struggle more than high-income families. But the formulas are very heavily weighted towards income as opposed to assets. So if you have multiple children in college, that doesn't mean you have twice the income. Mm, So it's being split among your children. And because of this heavy emphasis on your cash flow, when you have more than one child in college, it's going to have a big impact. And forget about two children in college. If you have three children in college at the same time, they're going to qualify for a lot more financial aid. Mm -hmm. So it's better to have twins than children who are separated in ages by four years. (laughs) Right, for certain things, right. So, you know, and then some families will say, well, should I be trying to speak to, say you're in a lucky situation where you have a bonus and you want or you can defer some sort of income, should wealthy families be thinking about trying to defer income? Well, and certainly you want to minimize income during the base year, the year upon which the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, is based, which currently is the prior tax year, but will be switching to the Mm. second prior tax year or the prior prior year. Uh, And in particular, you want to avoid artificially increasing income during that year, such as by realizing capital gains uh, and by taking distributions from retirement plans, uh, and also uh, a one-time bonus. You can appeal to the school mm-hmm. uh, for an adjustment uh, based on unusual aspects of your financial circumstances. I mean, for example, if you got a one-time bonus that is not typical, you could argue that it's a one-time event that, not, that is not reflective 
of your ability to pay during the academic year. Uh, and some colleges might buy that argument, especially if you present them with evidence that your typical salary is much lower and it was just artificially increased by this bonus or capital gains because you sold stocks to pay the college bills. It's worth a try, at least asking the school to consider that. Now, you said certain colleges actually try to recruit wealthy students. Right. Well, consider it from the college's financial or net revenue perspective. A wealthy student, who's often called a full-pay student, pays more towards the college than a low-income student who may need more financial aid. So if we're talking about a $50,000 a year school, it may be financially worthwhile for that college to give the student, uh, this full-pay student, a $10,000 scholarship because they will still net $40,000 per year from that student, whereas a low-income student, they might net only a few thousand dollars. Mm. Not to uh, mention... And so yeah. the, the other aspect of this is it um, plays into the family's ego. Right. They get to then say that their child was so desired by this school that they got a merit scholarship. Good and point. it often gets inflated from $10,000 merit scholarship to a full tuition scholarship uh, to a free ride um, wow. as they brag to their friends how, <laughs> how desirable their child is. I'm sure it does. You know, And from the school's point of view, if they're attracting wealthy students, that means one day they could have a wealthy donor on their roles as well. I, I want to say one thing about the FAFSA. Give us your take. If you're wealthy, should you be filling the FAFSA out, that free application for financial uh, federal financial student aid, as you said? Well, the formula is complicated enough that it's very hard to predict whether you're going to get any need-based aid. And as we noted, and when you go from one child in college to two children in college, it makes a big difference. The FAFSA is a prerequisite for low-cost student loans. Uh, so if you want your child to have skin in the game, mm. say through the federal Stafford loan, that's a, a very good way of doing it. Uh, and it's also just very hard to predict. I mean, parents have a tendency to overestimate eligibility for merit-based aid and underestimate eligibility for need-based aid. Mm. And th- there's also an added benefit of filing the FAFSA. Let's suppose you file the FAFSA and you don't qualify for uh, need-based financial aid. Well, many colleges are need-sensitive in their admissions policies. Yep. I and mean, even if they're need-blind, uh, in the regular admission, when they're admitting students off the waiting list, they tend to become need sensitive. And so by demonstrating that you don't need any financial aid, you're more likely to get admitted off of that waiting list than a student who requires a lot of financial aid. Because by the time the college is admitting students off the waiting list, they've already used up their financial aid budget. Great tips as always. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I was wondering, would you stick around and take our financial version of the Prowse questionnaire? Yes. Great. You stick around, too. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, from our studios in New York. Here's Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. Now it's time for financial aid expert Mark Kentrowitz to take our financial version of the Prowse questionnaire. Mark, are you ready? Yes. Great, Mark. So what's the best financial advice you ever received? 
Uh, I'd say uh, live below your means so you have the means to live. I mean, uh, yeah. just because you have the salary, a high salary, doesn't mean that you spend all that money. Um, Sage I'd say advice. also another good bit of advice is to not invest in companies that have a large amount of debt mm. because if that company has any problems in their debt situation, um, any financial mismanagement, the lenders can call that debt, force the company into bankruptcy, and then your stocks are worth nothing. Great point. Worst financial advice you ever received? Um, well, and, uh, don't... Uh, one bit of advice I received, and this was from a bank, is that you should never liquidate your CDs before uh, the uh, maturity date um, because then you'll pay a three-month penalty uh, on the interest. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if the interest that you're receiving is, a 10 basis points, 0.1%, yep. Um, that's not a very big penalty. Good point. And chances are the new investment will pay a higher return. Mm. So it, even though that's uh, kind of tried and true advice um, that people don't like incurring a penalty, mm. sometimes uh, incurring the penalty is financially worthwhile. Smart, smart thought. Fill in the blank. Money can buy. Oh, well, money can buy gadgets. <laughs> gadgets are good. Money can't buy. Uh, money can't buy love. <laughs> Very true. Now, if you won a million dollars after tax, what would you do with it, Mark? I'd save it. Um, I like the way I you wouldn't think. spend it all at once. I would uh, initially just save it while I try to think about what I would use the money for. Probably the first thing I would do is pay down debt. Always a good um, thing to pay down that debt. If you've got credit card debt um, that you're paying 15% on, and you've got money in the bank that you're getting 1% on, just by paying off that credit card debt, it's like earning that 15%. Great point. This is a lot of fun, as always. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Thank you for having me. And this has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of the Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.